hey, welcome to the Scrum GBH's Politics Podcast. I'm Adam Riley, and in this episode, you're going to hear from two local epidemiologists, Sam Scarpino and Cassandra Pierre, about what they think the state should be doing differently to address the current COVID surge. Last week, after Governor Charlie Baker said new restrictions aren't necessary, cases skyrocketed. We had about 4,600 new cases last Wednesday, about 6,500 last Thursday, although around 700 of those should actually have been reported earlier, and then around 5,200 on Friday and 5,350 on Saturday. Those totals are breaking records that we set last spring when COVID first hit. But still, this Monday, a few hours ago actually, when Baker announced a new ban on inpatient elective surgeries aimed at keeping hospital beds open, he wasn't quite ready to commit to any other new policies aimed at curbing the virus's spread. Well, we're taking a good look at the data as we have been uh, post-Thanksgiving. And I fully expect that at some point, uh, we'll make some decisions with respect to that. When you say all options are on the table, what does that include? We'll have more to say about that soon. But our guests in this episode say that is the wrong approach. After you hear their arguments, stick around for Peter Kadzis's reaction to what they have to say and what the governor has had to say. But first, on to Sam Scarpino, the director of the Emergent Epidemics Lab at Northeastern University, who has some pointed thoughts on what the state is or isn't doing right now. Well, I think the state could be doing a couple of things. First is communicating to the public what a serious situation we're in uh, and that we are heading towards a potential crisis if we don't slow down COVID-19 transmission. And the second thing, and and this is related to how we communicate this, is taking action to roll back some of the things that are currently open. For example, taking a very hard look at non-essential indoor gatherings as recommended by the CDC. I'm thinking of casinos. Uh, I'm thinking of potentially even bars and restaurants. When you say taking a very hard look at that, Are you not quite ready yet to say those things should definitely be closed down? Or do you think it's time that the state say, we're not going to do that anymore for the time being? Well, I would like to know more. And unfortunately, we've been in this situation for months now about where cases are coming from. For example, is there a major contribution from workplaces that have had people return to work? Uh, Is there a major contribution from gyms or from casinos relative to, you know, indoor dining. But I think certainly increased limits on the number of individuals that can be dining indoors are something that we should be taking action on immediately. And then really deciding if there's a way we could support individuals financially and economically if we had to do a whole-scale rollback of dining you know, over the next week or so. My hunch is that if the governor and the people who work with him were to take a listen to what you're saying, they would disagree with the idea that the governor hasn't stressed the severity of the moment we're in. Can you elaborate a little bit on what it is you see lacking when it comes to messaging around where we're at? What I think is lacking is action to back up the messaging. We heard over Thanksgiving that one of the reasons people were reluctant to stay at home and not travel 
is that they see indoor dining open, and it's not clear what the difference is between indoor dining and going and seeing family members outside of your bubble. The answer is there isn't a difference. They're both incredibly high risk. And if it's not safe to have in-person Thanksgiving, it's not safe to have indoor dining. And so the governor is saying that things are serious. He's saying that he has anticipated this surge, but not actually taking any action to try and control the spread of COVID-19. And so individuals are being told one thing, but the real communication has to come from action. One of the things that I want to stress is that many of us believe we have been trying hard to avoid a larger lockdown by recommending more targeted action early, which is something that we haven't done. And as a result, we're in a very difficult situation with respect to options that are still left on the table. Now, of course, there are individuals that are in favor of keeping things open. And in fact, there are individuals that are advocating for opening up even more. But from my perspective, the science and the data are on the side of an increased rollback. And we heard that very strongly from the CDC and their updated recommendations uh, at the end of last week. When you say that you and others have been advocating for more aggressive targeted intervention and that we didn't do that on the state level, what kind of thing are you talking about? Well, we've known for months now that COVID-19 cases have been increasing. We've even heard that from the governor that the surge that we're in was something that he anticipated. And I think anticipating a surge in cases and not doing anything about it is unacceptable. We could have put limits on group sizes, especially indoor gathering, non-essential indoor gathering into place at much lower levels uh, than they are now. We could have closed non-essential businesses that are not serving the same economic function as restaurants. I'm thinking of casinos. We could have taken a very hard look at having more businesses return to remote work, especially those businesses where individuals can work remotely uh, to reduce the number of in-person contacts. There were measures that we could have taken weeks ago uh, that may be off the table now because they won't have uh, a large enough effect quickly enough to prevent a surge and to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. When we talked on the weekend or over the weekend, you talked about how you would like to see the state shift its stance when it comes to asymptomatic testing. Can you reprise for me what it is you think is problematic about the governor's stance on asymptomatic testing right now? Well, the governor has been very pessimistic about the potential role for asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic testing of COVID-19 to control the epidemic. And I agree with the governor that until recently, the CDC has had mixed messaging about the importance of such testing. That has changed as of the end of last week. They are now very clear that asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic testing are critical uh, for controlling the pandemic. And we've seen both in the state from colleges and universities, Northeastern, Tufts, BU, and internationally, that COVID-19 can be controlled, even in the absence of a vaccine, with aggressive test trace isolate strategies that focus on pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic individuals. We've also seen it in places like, you know, the NBA bubble. And so the science and the data are just no longer on the side of the governor's 
pessimistic stance with respect to asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic testing, and the CDC's messaging has shifted. And so I think uh, it is past time that we have a statewide plan for how we can roll out widespread, low or no cost asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic testing to control COVID-19 and to best leverage the vaccines that are coming to get to a new normal much faster. Next up, Dr. Cassandra Pierre. She is the Medical Director of Public Health Programs and the Associate Hospital Epidemiologist at Boston Medical Center. And broadly speaking, I think it's fair to say she has many of the same concerns Sam Scarpino does. I think that we had a lot more will and a lot more ingenuity, both individually as well as societally, in April. We knew that it was going to be hard. We knew it was going to be rough. But I feel like we are so fatigued and it's more difficult this time around to even think about what the alternatives are. We don't just have um, a mental and moral fatigue. We have creative fatigue. We've, we've been depleted. But we need to, we need someone, <laughs> someone in authority, um, someone in public health, someone in government to kind of reconceptualize what this looks like, what this winter looks like. Um, and, and it does, you know, our time is running out. So if Governor Baker were to call you up today and say, Dr. Pierre, what should we do in the coming weeks, uh, starting with this week? What would you tell him? Our numbers are going to skyrocket. And, and those infections are going to be intensified, potentially via even super spreader events in those indoor venues that are really well suited to do that, to you know, cause infection among dozens of individuals because of the close proximity, the indoor setting with poor ventilation. They are really tailor-made to promote super spread events and COVID transmission in general. We really need to be thinking about how we can do a targeted closing of some sectors of our economy, which pose the greatest risk for ongoing transmission outside of household contacts. Um, and how are we going to support the businesses that are being affected? We don't want to wait until it's way too late. We don't want to wait until our COVID positivity is so high that it leads to a significant amount of hospitalizations and deaths that it doesn't overwhelm our medical system, which will, you know, will also cause significant economic impact. So we know that we need to take a hit economically in certain sectors in order to support our hospitals, our healthcare system, and our overall economy. We need to start messaging at this point that we need to draw back on indoor restaurants, that we need to draw back on the casinos, that we need to uh, draw back on the gyms, unfortunately, and that we also need to come up with some alternative plans for houses of worship with greater support for the houses of worship that are willing to go to a more virtual-based worship service. I think you said when we were emailing that you have seen some concrete evidence of spread in the the sort of environments you're saying should should be be closed now as we head into the winter. Am I recalling correctly? Did you say that you have seen at at BMC people who it seems pretty clear have acquired COVID in those contexts? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting because um, like the state, 
in our hospital, I'm sure many other places, a certain percentage of the people who have COVID are really unsure of how they were infected. And we have a, a team of trained and skilled infection preventionists who are taking those calls. Sometimes I get involved because it really bugs me when someone says they have no idea where they were infected and they kind of throw up their hands and say, well, maybe it was the grocery store. Um, and I'm not saying that, that, that infections don't happen at the grocery store. It certainly can happen, but they are probably too often maligned um, for the kinds of, of traffic that goes in there and the brief contacts that we have in the grocery stores. So usually, not, not usually, but many times when I go through the list, what were you doing in a day? You were doing errands. Okay, what were those errands? You stopped at the gym. Interesting. Or you went to a restaurant. Okay, you probably were infected. The, the most likely thing on the list are those indoor venues which have never been suspected by that individual. And because many of these venues are open, they're deemed to be safe. Maybe if people pause and thought about it a little bit, they may think, oh, wow, you know, I'm at the gym. Even though we're more than six feet apart and the gym has you know, all these wonderful regulations, people are sweating. Their masks might slip below their noses. And in these spaces, respiratory droplets can travel farther than six feet. They can go as far as 12 feet or longer, and they can hang around for a longer period of time, remain infectious for a longer period of time in this setting. Um, and so, yeah, actually, this does pose a risk. But people don't really think about that. I've also seen people who have come in positive, and then when we do their contact tracing, we find that they actually went to dinner with their family you know, maybe two, like sometimes two days before symptoms started, but sometimes while they were having symptoms. And the response might be, oh, but I wasn't coughing. Um, and so, again, there seems to be a profound lack of what the range of symptoms might look like and when someone might become infectious to others. I, I have no doubt that people are not sitting down to dinner at, at an indoor restaurant with family and friends intending to expose them maliciously. Um, but people just don't know. And the other flavor of things is that sometimes people are exposed and are not quarantining, and part of that not quarantining may involve going to a casino with friends um, or, you know, going to the gym or going to other places where they uh, unfortunately will invariably wind up exposing others when their post-exposure test comes up positive. Is it possible to, to generalize roughly about how many people you think you've run into who were likely affected in a casino or a gym or, well, dining indoors? I will say it's been in the dozens. And I don't know if that's high impact enough, but I live, but, but I'm in the hospital, and so we don't see hundreds of people. So I just want to make sure people scale it that way. Dozens doesn't seem like a lot, but it constitutes, I would say, probably, let's see, you know, 15 to 20% of the people that we're evaluating. So. Peter Kadzis, what do you make of Cassandra and Sam's arguments? Well, first of all, let me go somewhere where they didn't. And let me talk about Governor Charlie Baker, who um, I think on the whole has done a fairly good job once he got his sea legs, you know, way back in April, say. Um, that said, um, for the last several pressers he had, and he has one every couple of days, um, I don't think he's in sync with the larger audience. Um, it's almost as if he's become a prisoner of uh, his own um, Charlie Baker act. Now, I, I, I 
don't, I, I don't mean that, sorry, it's almost as if he's become a prisoner of his own Charlie Baker Act. Um, that's really not a wisecrack. That's a tribute to the public persona he has developed as, you know, the state's chief executive who's interpreting the numbers for the general public. Um, I don't think in the last couple of days he's done himself justice. I think he's been too cautious um, because, frankly, as bad as things seem, they're not as bad as many people are jumping jumping to the conclusion. The, the big thing is, and no one wants to talk about death. I understand that. But the reason we're so concerned about COVID is it kills people. Specifically, it kills people my age and older. So trust me, I've got a vested interest in the death angle here. Um, at its peak, about 250 people were dying a day in Massachusetts. This is back in March or April. On December 6th, which is the last figure I can find, 51 died. Listen, that's 51 too many people. I am not trying to minimize the loss um, to families and communities of, of, of these deaths. But as a proportion of overall infections, the infection rate, the death rate is going down. It's not going up. And what that means in very simple terms is COVID is not as lethal today as it was back in April. Now, anyone in elected office will probably say, Peter, you should have your head examined. No public official can go around talking like that. And they may be right. I think the best Baker has come is where he's been emphasizing the uh, occupancy rates of hospitals, but specifically the ICUs. Clearly, the state is concerned because putting a temporary crimp on um, voluntary inpatient procedures and the opening of field hospitals suggests there is a fear um, that things could get worse. Preparing for the future is what we should be doing. Now, I'm not giving Baker a clean bill of health. I have no expertise to question his handling of the pandemic in recent weeks. But um, I trust my gut that, you know, politically, I think he could be more effective. But let me argue against myself here. I think those of us in the media and many people in the medical community and the, you know, the larger government community um, may have our concerns, but I wonder if the average citizen shares them. Look, the, the average citizen isn't as immersed in these numbers as you and I are. I mean, my God, except for, the, except for the occasional day off I take here and there, I've seen every, you know, almost every single press conference the governor and the mayor have given on this subject. Um, uh, they're both very serious about it. And it is conceivable that we in the media, or we who are active on Twitter and social media, are more concerned about this than the general public. Let me ask about the criticism that you made of Baker's 
recent communication style. Is it fair to say that you are saying essentially he should be more willing to explain himself, to provide context, to talk people through why numbers that might be concerning aren't quite as bad as they seem, to share a little bit more about what his decision-making process may be in the days to come? Is is that a fair assessment? No, that uh, you have... Um... You have discerned where I was trying to go. I think that in general, Charlie Baker's, you know, tall, silent guy act works pretty well. I'm not sure it's acting as well as it could right now. I do think this is a time to be a little more forthcoming. And by that, I don't mean talking about how this has affected him personally, which, by the way, really hits me you know, whenever he reminds us that he hasn't had a meal with his much older dad and stuff. I mean, that that stuff really registers with me, and I think it registers with the general public. But, yeah, give us some stars to navigate by. Say, look, if such and such a number hits such and such a point, then it's really, really time to worry. Now, I'm oversimplifying, and the the people around the governor could probably give me five good reasons why that would not be politically wise. But I think that Baker has built up uh, a, a huge reservoir of goodwill and respect, and this just might be a time to tap into it. I see the governor as having a communications issue. I'm not so sure he has a management issue. Um, and I stay in fairly regular contact with uh, a, a handful of people in the medical community, you know, who I don't, who we don't, we being GBH don't regularly talk to, and they're alarmed. But I, no one's been waving a red flag to me because they, they, the feedback I get is that the governor has control of it, um, control of the facts, you know, the, the facts on the ground. Now, there were some broad hints today that Baker may be taking some more concrete action. And that's real simply just said, he, you know, we throw out the possibility that he may be meeting with the press five times a day. I mean, no one can accuse him of hiding. It does sound like something is going to be changing, something bigger is going to be changing somewhat soon. And in that sense, you could make a case that the governor may be somewhat in sync with not just the people we talked to for this episode, but other public health officials whose tone has sharpened in recent days. There was that Ashish Jha tweet storm, the head of the Brown University School of Public Health, who, you know, went very, I think it's fair to say, negative on Twitter over what we're doing or not doing over the weekend. It feels like the phrase is overused. It feels like we've reached a tipping point. And given the comments of the governors that you're talking about, uh, maybe he feels that way as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really struck by that tweet storm be because um, the the doctor from Brown has been pretty supportive of Baker. Um but I have to say, and, and this is um, conceding all credit to your experts who we just listened to, I take what they had to say very seriously, 
But I do notice that because they're scientists, they're hedging a lot of what they're saying. By the way, that's because they're being responsible. I think, Adam, that more than myself, they know what they don't know. And I think they nevertheless made a lot of sense. But you can't make COVID an entirely medical proposition. It's not the bubonic plague. It's bad, but it's not killing everyone that touches. And what I don't think we sufficiently understand is the economic pressures the governor has to calculate about shutting certain things down. Look, if I were king, I would not have reopened the restaurants. Why we've reopened gambling casinos is beyond me. Um, however, I don't have to worry about the budget in five years where we have to factor in what those casinos are going to be producing for us. Um, you know, it gets to be very cold up there on the mountain of authority. And there's a lot of stuff to balance. All right. That is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. Thanks to Cassandra Pierre and Sam Scarpino for talking with us. And as always, to you for taking the time to listen. Subscribe to The Scrum if you haven't. Rate us if you've got 30 free seconds. And please talk back to us. You can email us at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. Our producer, Zoe Matthews, is at Zoe S. Matthews. That's Matthews with one T. And Peter, you are? At Kadzis, capital K-A-D-Z-I-S. The Scrum is a production of GBH News. We'll talk to you again soon.